Good morning. It's a joy to be here this morning and worship with with everybody. Today we will be in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Genesis chapter 4, 1 through 16. Let's pray once more. Father, we love you so much. We're thankful for this building that we're able to gather together as one people, as your blood-bought people. Pray that you would be with each one of us, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to, to receive your word, to receive your teachings. Help us to do it with a submission to you, knowing that you are our authority, you are our loving authority. <clears throat> I pray that we would just approach you with a reverence that, that you, you surely deserve. Uh, so I pray that you just be with us. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. So I'm a Jeep guy. I love Jeeps. I had one in college. It was my first car. And I rolled that one. But I got another Jeep. I drive it now. If you see a black hail-damaged Jeep, very hail-damaged, that's mine. Uh, so I love Jeeps. I like their names. They've all been interesting to me. So you have the Jeep Cherokee, Grand Cherokee. You have Compass. That's the one I drive. Uh, they're just really interesting to me. And I got curious one day, and I went on their website to see like what these, what these names mean. And if you've seen a Wrangler, a Jeep Wrangler, sometimes they have the word Rubicon written on their hood. It's like, why? why? Why does it have Rubicon written on their hood? So I looked, and I got a history lesson on Jeep's website. It comes in part from a stream in northern Italy called the Rubicon, and it is a stream where Julius Caesar took an army to cross into Italy. I thought, well, this is interesting. Well, it is famous because in him taking his army across the Rubicon, he started civil war within the Roman Republic. I'm a history guy, so this story is fascinating to me. My wife told me it's not quite as fascinating, so bear with me <laughs> as, as I enjoy this. So Julius Caesar, he was pacifying Gaul, which is modern-day France, and modern-day France was a barbaric territory filled with, well, the, the Romans would say, a brutish and barbaric people. This, this campaign of Julius Caesar, it was illegal, but popular with the people of Rome. His popularity was beginning to unsettle the Senate, the, the Roman Senate, so they wanted to call him back and really put him on trial for war crimes. Caesar would have none of that. Of course, Caesar thought, well, I am not going to do that. I'm going to take my army, which is loyal to me, and I'm going to cross over into Italy and start civil war. He decided to disobey orders, to go against the authority that was over him. Now, this decision he knew was one you can't turn back from. His famous saying when he crossed was supposedly, the die is cast. What will happen will happen. And what happened was the republic turned into an empire. 
Uh, he himself would be assassinated not long after, and more war would dominate the years to come. Julius Caesar had no respect for the authority that was over him, and he refused to submit. We know as believers that there is some earthly authority that we have to submit to, but we know also that there is an ultimate authority, which is God our Father. I think of Paul before and after his conversion. Before the road to Damascus, when he was converted, he had no submission to God. He did what he wanted. He viewed God how he wanted, and he treated the people of God, the church, how he wanted, which was intense persecution. Now, after, after he comes to know the Lord on the road to Damascus, Paul is completely different. He is willfully and completely submissive to God and his authority. This submissiveness, it leads to Paul's joy, and it helps him to endure hardships for the Lord. And truly, it leads to a hope, a hope of eternal life. So all of this leads to our text this morning. My purpose in preaching this text, Genesis 4, is that you and I will know, will know that God is our authority and a refusal to submit to him leads to destruction. You and I, we can look at this passage, this passage and see how to act and how not to respond to God. Many times we're tempted. We're tempted to refuse to submit to God, refuse to obey God, to want to have things our way. Now, the story of Cain and Abel, it's an example that we must submit to God. Let's, let's read our text. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. 
Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. From this text, I believe that we can get three examples, of three warnings concerning living a life without submission to God. Cain's example gives us three warnings concerning living a life without submission to God. But first, let's define our terms. What exactly does submission mean? Really, submission is a military word. It's to put oneself under, under authority, as of a higher officer or of a king. In James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submission is knowing that God has all authority, It's a humility before the almighty creator. We've been going through Genesis and we can see how mighty our creator is. It's a recognition that God is infinitely higher than we are. He is creator, we are creature. Ultimately, submission, it's a recognition that God is Lord over our lives. We should respond to this recognition by living for him, obeying God, doing what is pleasing to him. In the first scene, this this narrative, I've broken it up into three scenes. And in this first scene, we see that without submitting to God, our lives will not be acceptable to God. This passage really begins with a sense of hopefulness. At the end of chapter 3, Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden. But at the beginning of four, we see that two boys are born. The boys are working. The construction of this Hebrew, really, it implies that Eve may have even hoped that Cain, this firstborn here, might have been the promised seed of 315. This hopefulness, however, is quickly dashed. It's quickly dashed when the boys bring their offerings to the Lord. We see that Abel and his offering are accepted, while as Cain and his offering are not accepted. We don't exactly know why Abel's is accepted, why Abel is seen as more acceptable. If you pick up one commentary or ask one theologian, he'll give you an answer. And then another person who asks, you ask, he'll give you a different answer. There are so many different ideas of why he and his offering, Abel, were seen as more acceptable. We'll talk a little bit about it. It isn't because Cain or Abel brings meat, because grain offerings are acceptable. And even the word here is usually used to denote a grain offering. So that doesn't seem likely. It could be, perhaps, that Abel, he brings the firstborn and the fat portions. That seems... That seems like it could be it. Uh, 
it shows the proper attitude of worship. It shows a, I'm going to give God the best. But it is important to note that the narrator of this story doesn't tell us explicitly why. Why Abel and his offering are seen as acceptable. I think that silence, it speaks volumes. It seems that the text, it's less concerned about the offerings, and it's more concerned about Cain's attitude. Cain's reaction here, it shows his attitude to God. In verse 5, we see that after Cain is rejected, Cain is very angry. His face falls. His anger is apparent. God says, though, if you do well, will not you be accepted? Cain is very, very angry, but God graciously comes to him and says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? What does that mean? What does that mean to do well? It means have faith. Do what is pleasing in the sight of God. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. Up to this point, Cain, he has not had faith. He has rather been approaching God on his own terms. This is how I view God, and this is what I think God gets. According to God, Cain has not been doing what is expected. God expects obedience from his people. A good example of this is found in 1 Samuel 15, 22. Saul, he doesn't obey God's commandments. Saul goes against what God, what God says. And Samuel is sent to reproach Saul. And Samuel says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Regardless of the offering, Cain is not giving the expected obedience. So after God comes to Cain and reproaches him, the proper response you would think would be repentance. Repentance and change. Look at verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. God gives Cain a warning here. If Cain continues to live the way he is living, he could be devoured by sin. It's very interesting here because sin is given qualities, qualities of a predator. Sin is lying in wait, ready to pounce like a lion. Sin's desire is to master Cain. But God says Cain must rule over it. The picture here is of a lurking beast right outside your threshold, waiting for a chance. But this sin, this sin is not inevitable. It can be fought. It can be mastered. God tells him to rule over it. You must rule over it, or it will rule over him. Now in this second scene, we'll see that 
without submitting to God, our lives will be ruled by sin. So sin is pictured as a, as a lurking beast just outside the threshold. And Cain opens the door to that sin. Cain does not fight it. Cain succumbs to his fallen nature. He continues here to approach God on his own terms. And now Cain's life is ruled by sin. And we see that in verse 8. We see that when Cain rises up and kills his brother Abel. God tells Cain how he could have alleviated his anger, his jealousy, his hurt pride. He could have done that by having faith, by being obedient, by doing well. Instead, Cain kills Abel as a method to alleviate his own problems. If Cain would have just obeyed God, his life could have been completely different. I like what one pastor writes of this, of this what Cain could have had, had he submitted to God. He writes, Expiation will produce exaltation. Justification will produce joy. Forgiveness will produce festivity. And conversion will produce cheer. Harmony vertically produces holiness internally and happiness horizontally. This is a really good summation, really, of the life and the change in a believer when they come to know God, when they submit to God. Cain only had recognized God to submit to him, but instead of submitting, Cain kills. And God, in his mercy, in his grace, speaks to Cain once more. This dialogue with God shows, without a doubt, that Cain's life is ruled by sin. And from here, you'll start to see some some parallels, some similarities to Genesis chapter 3. When God, he asks Cain about the whereabouts of Abel. First, Cain lies. I do not know. That is an outright lie. Adam doesn't even lie. Adam, he... He hides, but he comes clean. Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Cain lies. Cain also gives a sarcastic answer. Am I my brother's keeper? This is one of those moments, if you have siblings and you're in the car or you're sitting somewhere and your sibling mouths off to your parents and you just know you're waiting. You're like, oh, something's coming. (laughs) You should not have said that. We get a sense of that when Cain gives this sarcastic answer. He's also shifting blame. We know Adam, he shifted blame too when he blames Eve. The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Adam does not give a sarcastic answer. Cain does. Cain's lies though, they prove to be futile. God knows. God knows where where the body is. So God, his questions turn more to accusations at this point. What have you done? This is less of a question and more of an accusation. Abel's blood is crying out as a witness. There is a witness to Abel's death. This is the same cry that we see numerous times throughout the Old Testament. It is a 
the same cry of desperate men crying out for food in Genesis 41. Men expecting to be killed, crying out for their lives in Exodus 14.10. And those cries of the cruelly oppressed in Judges 4.3. God hears the desperate cries. And regardless of whether Cain submits or not, God is a God of justice and God administers justice. So far from alleviating Cain's problems, sin has ruled his life and has led him to a cursed life. Let's look at verse 11 and 12. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth. So this, this curse is that he can no longer farm. This farmer can't farm, and he must leave his family to wander. This curse wraps up that second scene, and now we move into the final scene. Without submission to God, our lives will be without hope. Upon receiving his curse, Cain is in utter despair. Look at what he says. My punishment is greater than I can, can bear. The first thing Cain does is complain. Complain about his punishment in still refusing to submit to God. Cain also adds to this punishment we see. Think back to Eve when she's questioned by the serpent in chapter 3, verse 3. She says that God commanded her in saying, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Eve adds that part about the touching. Eve puts words into God's mouth and sees things that are not there. In Cain, he does the same thing. God curses Cain from the ground and to be a wanderer. That's two things. Cain sees four things. Cain sees the soil will not yield strength. Cain also sees, however, that he'll be hidden from God's face. Cain is forced to wander, but Cain also sees that he will be killed. Despair and refusal to submit to God gives way to hopelessness. But see again how God continues to care for Cain. In each scene so far, we've seen Cain refuse to submit and God pursue Cain. And again, God protects Cain from anyone taking vengeance upon him. He marks him for his protection. No one knows what this mark is that God puts on Cain, but I don't think it's part of the punishment. I think it is part of God's protection. God protects Cain also by issuing a judgment upon anyone who would attack him. Despite God's pursuit and protection of Cain, his refusal to submit has led him to hopelessness. In verse 16, we see that Cain, he went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain was forced to wander, but I, he did not have to go away from the Lord. 
God, we know he's omnipresent. He is everywhere. And we see in Psalm 33, 13 through 15, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Cain's going away here. It's not geographical. It is spiritual. Cain chooses to leave the presence of God, of the Lord, and to go his own way. We're reminded of Romans, which was read this morning. I'll read a little bit of it again. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. In Cain's case, there can be no argument that he didn't know God. Cain is conversing with God. But Cain neither glorifies God nor gives thanks to God. God lets Cain go away from him. And now there is no hope in Cain's life. As a result of his refusal to submit to God, Cain is left without a hope and he wanders further from his family, further from the garden east of Eden. In conclusion, the character of Cain is set before us as a negative example of what happens when one refuses to submit to God. A refusal to submit to God It leads to a life not acceptable to God, to a life that is ruled by sin, and to a life without hope. Ultimately, this is a life that leads to destruction, to an eternal separation from the Father. In thinking of application, I think back to Paul when he writes in Romans 15, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that though through perseverance and encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. How then are we today instructed, encouraged, and hopeful because of Genesis 4, 1 through 16? Let's look at just a few applications before we finished. We're instructed to seek submission to God. We live in a headstrong culture, do we not? When one has a view, we cling to it. We cling to our view, our stances, our positions. They're ours. No one can convince us otherwise, whether right or wrong, whether The Bible says what it says or not. We cling to our positions. Let us take a look at our lives. Let us take a look at our views, our stances. Let's filter them through Scripture. Let's ask the question, what does God want from me here? How should I view this topic because of what Scripture says rather than because of what I want to think? Let our first and foremost desire be doing what is pleasing to the Lord because he is Lord, he is king, and he has authority over all our lives. 
So one, we are instructed to seek submission to God. Two, we are encouraged to accept the love of God because it is surely offered. Time and time again, we see in Genesis 4, we see that God pursued and he offered grace to an obstinate Cain. And time and time again, God pursues and offers grace to obstinate us. When we fail, when we mess up, when we do not do the good we want, but the evil we do not want is what we keep doing, as Paul says, when that happens, we do not need to flee and hide like Adam. We do not need to lie and get angry like Cain. We can be encouraged that God comes to us with a ready forgiveness. We only need to choose God over our own selves, choose God over our own way. And finally, we are hopeful because salvation is dependent upon God, not in our deeds. Cain tried the deeds way. He was trying to just check a box, bring his offering, but not submit to God. We see that Abel, he was accepted because of his faith, his faith. God gave Cain an opportunity. He gives him ample opportunity to reverse course, to have faith, to submit to God and live a life of hope. But Cain refuses time and time again. And likewise, God gives us ample opportunity to have faith, to submit to him, and to live a life of hope in him. Eve had hoped that Cain was the answer to the problem of sin, the seed that was promised in chapter 3. Eve hoped it was Cain. We know she was wrong, but we also know that that seed did come. And Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, born of a virgin, he is that promise. He defeated the power of sin and death through his own death on the cross and his resurrection. And it is through Jesus that God offers us peace, love, and a hope of eternity in his presence. We do not need to be like Cain and reject God continually at every turn. We only need to submit to God, accept Jesus, and live in the love and the hope that he provides. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in submission. We know that you are higher, infinitely higher we know that you love us in your authority. Help us not to bristle at your authority. Help us not to reject you and your teachings. Help us not to dislike your word. I pray that you would help us accept it, love it, and live for you because we know it is for our good. I pray that we would be instructed by Cain's example and that we would turn to you as you pursue us, Lord. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.